0: My name is John, I'm the associate pastor here at the Aldergrove campus of North Langley Community Church. It is great to have you with us, whether you are visiting for a baptism, visiting, didn't know it was a baptism, or if this is your church home, uh, we're really glad to be able to worship together. Uh, just to begin, has anyone here ever met a famous person? Our D- uh, hands are great. If you feel comfortable, shout out a name. Brian, Brian Adams. Sorry? Renee Zellweger. Oh, that was a lot of names. <laughs> Sorry, that. what was that last one? McQueen? The Queen. <laughs> Both are impressive. <laughs> well, uh, I actually met three famous people all at the same time once. It was when Emily and I were in Korea, and we were just kind of walking along downtown, and we could see this crowd gathered, and this limo pulled up, and out came these people, and the crowd was so excited. And we're like, I don't know. And so I asked the person, like, hey, who is this? And they, they told us, and it was 2008, and the movie The Good, The Bad, and The Weird just came out. So it's kind of like a, a, a nod to the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everyone was going crazy, and we're like, oh, okay. So we took a picture, showed it to my students when I got back to school, and I was marginally cooler for a week. <laughs> now, maybe you've heard of this movie, maybe you haven't. Uh, Song Gang-ho on the right, he actually is quite a famous actor. In 2017, he filmed a movie called The Taxi Driver, which took place in the city that we lived. So, I don't know, but I'm going to be very confident that he and I have actually eaten in the same restaurants. (laughs) There's a connection there. And uh, in 2019, he starred in Parasite, uh, the first non-English movie to win the Academy Award. Now, I don't know what happens when you win an Academy Award, but probably a party. And so there's a a picture, and you can see Song Gang-ho on the left there, uh, excited and celebrating. And so I would imagine that on Academy Award night, he went to a restaurant or a home, or he went somewhere to celebrate. Now, let's say that by some happy coincidence, I found out where the party was on the night of the Academy Awards. And so I show up at the door, and I knock, and who opens the door but Mr. Song Gang-ho himself? And I would say, Mr. Song. Congratulations on the award. You might remember me. Uh, I I was part of the crowd in 2008 when you were on tour for The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. I've seen a number of your movies, and since you and I were in the same city, we've eaten in some of the same restaurants. Congratulations, where can I put my jacket? Now, I don't know him well, but I suspect that I'm not getting into that party because I don't actually know him. I just know about him. I've been around him. And today is Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter. It's when we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem, and the crowds are are super excited, and they're welcoming Jesus in. Uh, And in this passage today, we're continuing our series in Luke, and so we're not on Palm Sunday, but it does talk about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. So it's kind of this, this weaving in that Jesus is almost on tour, as it were. He's not promoting a movie, but he's promoting a kingdom. And he's going from town to town and village to village. And he says, the kingdom of God is the place where God is president. This is what it looks like to live there. This is what it's like to be a citizen. This is what the community is like. And so he goes from town to town and village to village, promoting not a movie, but a kingdom. And one picture he would often use of this is a feast or a party, and in in Luke 13, where we're going today, it's the first of four four feast stories almost back to back to back to back. So this idea of a party or of a feast. Now it's important to know that for a lot of people in Jesus' day, the kingdom of God was the kingdom of Israel. And so when God sends his chosen one, who turned out to be Jesus, to restore the kingdom of God, that was the same as restoring the kingdom of Israel. So the Messiah would come, and you'd have a a king and a crown and a castle and all of that jazz, and here's the kingdom. And so if the kingdom of God was the kingdom of Israel, the people of God were the people of Israel. So Jesus is teaching the kingdom to people who understand that the kingdom is theirs if you're a Jew. If your great-great-grandfather was Abraham, you're in. And if not, you're out of luck. So Jesus is teaching on the kingdom, And one day someone asks him a question. So Luke chapter 13, verse 22, if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 492. If you have your own Bible or an app, you can open it. Now one quick um, English lesson is that English has no difference between the second person singular and second person plural. So if I said, you look good today, right now you're thinking, is he talking to his wife? Who does? Or is he talking to everybody? Because there's no difference in English between you and you, unless you're from the South of America, in which case you would say, y'all. So if you want to read the y'all translation, you can. Jesus is yalling here. Every you is a y'all. So Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And you will say, Well, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places in the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. So, this is the word of the Lord. And the question that the man asks Jesus, he doesn't say this but it seems to imply not just will a few people be saved, but will a few of us. He almost implies, of course, I'm saved, but how many of me are there? Is there many of me or just some of me? How many of us will be saved? And Jesus responds both to the question and to the asker of the question and to all those listening. The kingdom of God is a party, Jesus says. And not just a party, it's a good party. You want to be there. And at this party, there there are the the who's who's of the Jews. You've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got all the prophets. And it's this incredible party. And not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and all these prophets, but you've got people from east, west, north, and south, all over the world are showing up at this party. And you, you definitely want to go to this party. But currently... As it stands, you have John's chance at the Academy Awards of getting in, which is to say, none at all. And so Jesus says, this party is good to get in. And as good as it is to get in, it is bad to get out. He says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know if you've been to the dentist and the dentist is like, oh, have you been gnashing your teeth lately? We don't use that word a lot, but it's, it's deep anguish and grief to be out of this party. And this, Jesus says, is, is, uh, it's a message, and all of those who are assuming that they're in, Jesus says, well, actually, currently, you're not on the list. And all of those that you assume have no chance of getting in, they've got a seat at the table. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And this would have been a combination of mind-blowing, deeply insulting, and terrifying for the audience. This was their birthright. It's like someone saying, "You can't come to your own birthday party." It's like, "No, this is my party. The reason it's happening is because I'm here. But Jesus is saying that this kingdom in is not the default. And like those listening to Jesus, this should give us cause for pause. Because we're not talking the Academy Awards, we're talking the Kingdom of God, which is much better and lasts much longer, and Jesus says, it seems you can't crash this party. So a few questions that should come to mind for us is, number one, what's the deal with this door? And number two, will I get into that party? So when we take a closer look at this passage, what is this door? And there's other places in the Bible where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the path. And this is a little bit different than that, because in this, Jesus isn't the door, he's the owner behind the door. So there's some similarities, but there's some differences there. It seems to be a residential door, because when the people knock, they don't get a guard or a servant, they actually hear the voice of the owner. It's a small door, so it's kind of like welcoming someone in your front door rather than your garage. It's not a utility entrance, it's a personal entrance where you welcome people into your home. And so it also seems to be a pretty nice house because it's got an absolutely raging party in the back. And so what we have is we have this this small, personal, residential door that's big enough for a party that you really, really want to get into. And what's the deal? Is it the fact that these people are late? Like, is Jesus saying, listen, set your watch, you've got to be on time, there's only a little bit of time left? I think it's part of it. Jesus is saying there's not much time left, and that's a theme throughout Luke, that you don't have a lot of time left to respond. But when these people get to the door, they knock, and they actually get a conversation with the owner. And the owner doesn't say, sorry guys, party's going, oh, we just can't open the door, it takes a long time. What is it that the owner actually says? The owner says, I don't know you. So I don't think it's the timeliness. I don't think it's the fact that they were late. I think it's the fact that they didn't know the owner. See, I don't think it was the time. I think it's the relationship that opens the door. So the owner says, I don't know you or where you came from. And people would often get introduced with their name and place, Jesus of Nazareth, Robin of Locksley, Jenny from the block. <laughs> so it's kind of like Jesus is saying, I don't know you. I don't even know your last name. I don't know the first thing about you. So I'm not opening this door to come into this party that you know about. Yeah, and you know about me, but you don't know me. And so this party is not actually for you. Sorry, guys. So getting to the door isn't enough. Knowing the owner isn't enough. Knowing that there is a party isn't enough. Only a relationship with the owner seems to get you in. And the people listening to Jesus assumed that their spot at the party was guaranteed because of who they were. They were confident. They were comfortable. They may even have been complacent. In a spiritual sense, they were in the lazy river. Have you ever been to a water park and there's the lazy river? You just grab a tube, lift your feet, and you can drift forever. In a driving sense, they were in neutral. And they're like, you know what? This car is moving pretty good. It's going to get me where I need to go. So they're just trusting that the momentum of their lives, all that they had done was enough to get them in. And I don't think I'm that much different. See, I basically majored in Jesus at school. And there's a lot of times where I'm pretty convinced that the amount I know about Jesus is enough to replace knowing Jesus. Every week, every week I face that struggle. Do I know him? Or do I know about him? If you've been going to church for a while, you might feel like you've accumulated enough points. Oh, the momentum of my life is good because clearly you're not just going to church, you're going to the right church. Lord, are only a few of us getting saved? Maybe you feel you've done enough, volunteered enough, given enough, that you're a good person or even better, you're a better person, better than them at least. Because if there's someone lower that makes you better and and surely Jesus wouldn't bring them, so he's going to bring me, right? Right? And there's, I think, some, a point at which a lot of us feel like the momentum of our life has put us in a place where God owes us entry to the kingdom. And you can go the other way, too, where sometimes we feel God hasn't done enough for us. That life has been tough and it's dealt you some pretty, pretty bad blows. You're like, man, God owes this to me. But it's whether we have accumulated enough or God owes us that when we approach the door with the attitude of expectation, it's not enough to open the door. Assumptions don't get you in. See, the bad news is that when I'm trusting the momentum of my life, I'll find out that only a relationship with the owner opens the door. But the good news is that it only takes a relationship to open the door. When I do weddings or funerals, on the day of, I'll I'll talk to the family, and I'll ask them, is everyone here? before we start the service. And naturally, not everyone, but the family knows the family. So sometimes there's an uncle on the ferry or a cousin on the freeway, and they're like, no, so-and-so's on the way, we're going to hold off. And then we, we, we hold, and there's some people we're willing to be late for, because family knows family. But then there's other people you don't wait for. It's like, ah, if they get here, that's fine. And see, God, he knows his family. And it's a relationship that gets you in the door. See, there's four feast parables in a row here. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God like a party, and it's not an invitation we earn. If we look at the other ones, Jesus says, when you invite a party, make sure you're sitting at the lowest place, not the highest place, because then you receive honor. And when you hold a party, make sure that you're inviting those who can't invite you back. And when God holds a party, he sends out an invitation to those who have no chance of ever earning it. And so we see grace after grace after grace that this is an unrepayable invitation. It's an unearnable ticket. But then here, Jesus, he kind of spins our heads because he says in verse 24, make every effort to enter this party. It's weird because we're just talking about relationships, how you can't earn your way in. But Jesus then says, make every effort. And it seems like he's suggesting we actually do need to buy a ticket. That there actually is something we can do to get us in. There's a couple things to remember here in that. One is that Jesus is speaking to those who have made no effort. So he's talking to those who haven't made any effort and he's saying, make every effort. So first of all, he's speaking to the spiritual, spiritually neutral. These are people that are confident that the Amazon truck is dropping the kingdom off for them any moment now. Ah, It's on the way. Don't worry about it. Probably tonight by 10, guaranteed delivery. We get our kingdom. See, this is the Palm Sunday crowd that cheer him today and in a week are calling for blood. These are those who have in no way responded to who Jesus is. They know about the party. They know about Jesus. But they don't actually know him. There's been no transformation and no response. But Jesus says you can get in. You are invited in. It only takes a relationship to get in. But in is not the default. Make every effort. But this effort that Jesus is talking about is not an effort that earns our way in. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It says, for by grace, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we're saved by grace. But Jesus says, make every effort. And so if this is not a saving effort, then what is it? Well, when we want to understand how a word works, we see the shape of it throughout the New Testament. And we see it in Colossians 4.12, where Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling. It's that same word, wrestling. He's making every effort in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. In 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I have fought, I have made every effort in this good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, everyone who makes every effort, they go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. See, this isn't something that earns our way in, but it's something that shapes and saturates our lives. It's like how athletes train for a competition or students prepare for a thesis defense or a job hunter prepares for the interview at their dream job. Your life is shaped by your goal. This is a party worth being at, Jesus says, and your life should be shaped to that end. Now, this could feel a little overwhelming, a little intensive, a little bit like we have to go from zero to Olympic athlete today. But Jesus isn't saying all the effort all at once. So let's bring it down a little bit. Emily and I were on vacation a few years ago in Taiwan. We went to the Taroko Marble Gorge. I think there's a, a picture of it there, and it lived up to its name. It was gorgeous. You can write that down if you want. <laughs> it was an amazing trip. And we decided that from where we were staying to where it was, it was 50 kilometers, and so we rented a scooter. So we hopped on the scooter, and we zipped up there, and it was, it was incredible. It was beautiful. It was a ton of fun. But on the way back, it got dark, and we got turned around. So here we are in a scooter, and this is before GPS. This is before smartphones. And so what we had is a paper guidebook, And it had the Mandarin word for the train station. And we knew if we could get to the train station, we could get home. But I don't speak Mandarin. And the village we wound up in didn't speak English. And it's one thing to say, can you give me directions? And another thing to have them say, well, boom. boom." And you're like, oh, man. (laughs) I'm sure those were directions. (laughs) And so what we would do is we would ask someone. We would just point to the train station. And they would say, yes, yes, and then And they're giving us directions, and we're like, I don't understand a word of that. But whatever their first hand movement was, we would do that. And then we would go further and find someone else and show them the train station, and they would give us one hand motion, and da-da-da, and we're like, okay, that's fine. And their first hand motion is all we would follow. So we just kept following people one hand motion at a time. And one direction at a time, we made it back to the train station, we made it back to where we were staying, and we made it home. And Jesus isn't saying, make every effort, all the effort, all at once. He's saying, one turn at a time, choose Jesus. One turn at a time, allow the goal of this party to shape your life. You don't have to do it all the effort, all at once, but one at a time. And over the years, you'll find that you've made it back to the train station. You've made it to the party It's a life-shaping effort. One more example. I'm married to Emily. I can't be, couldn't be, any more married to her if I tried. But I would if I could. (laughs) Now, does that mean I don't invest in our relationship just because we can't get super-married? Very much, no. It's because we're married that I invest in this relationship. Our marriage shapes how I sleep, it shapes what I eat, it shapes my, my waking and my sleeping and my vacation and my hobbies and my work. Everything that I am and that I do is shaped by my marriage to Emily. And in the same way, Jesus calls us to make every effort that, that who you are and what you do is shaped by this relationship. That when it comes to Jesus, I regularly have the opportunity to see my faith inspire life change. That when I wake up, I can start by turning my thoughts to Jesus or something else. That when I eat, I can be thankful for my meals or glad that I've earned them. I have the choice of how I will respond when frustrated. I can respond in anger or kindness. I regularly have the choice to put myself first or to choose humility. I can gossip or encourage. I can prioritize my own comfort and leisure, or I can be generous with what God has given me. See, it's not everything all at once, but moment by moment, choice by choice, we're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And after enough choices and enough turns, we're back at the train station. We've made it to the party. See, there is a kingdom, and there is a party. There is a feast. We are all invited to be there, but being there is not the default. It takes a relationship to open the door. Today is communion. And communion is this beautiful picture, this marriage of relationship and feast and kingdom. It's when we remember Jesus' death on the cross, his body symbolized by the cracker, his blood by the juice... And when Jesus was with his disciples, his apprentices, his students before he died, he had this feast together with them and he explained that his body and blood was about to fundamentally redefine the relationship between God and people. That when he died, he paid the penalty for your sin and mine. And when he rose again, he defeated the power of death. It sounds really weird. But as we believe this is true and allow it to shape our lives, we find that Jesus has paid for our seat at the table. We have a place at the party and the relationship opens the door. And the question you might be thinking today is how do you know if you have a relationship? Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been around Jesus. And maybe this is all brand new, but in any case, you want to ensure you have a relationship. And this can be summed up in John chapter 3, verse 16. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but be at this everlasting party, and they would have everlasting life. We had three examples today of people telling their story that they knew about Jesus, and now they know Jesus. That they, that they had been around him, and now he is, is shaping who they are, and is impacting their journey step by step, and turn by turn. And that's their Jesus story. So today, do you have a Jesus story? A moment where you go from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus? Where you have a relationship and moment by moment, he, he walks with you and you with him? Or is he simply a background character in your life that you saw downtown in 2008? Today can be the beginning of that relationship. That if you would like to start that conversation begin that relationship with Jesus, I would love to have a chat with you. We also have a prayer team at the front here and in that room, that prayer room at the back, who would love to pray with you. So if you would like to start that conversation about Jesus, we would love to talk to you more about that. And maybe you have met Jesus, but let me ask you, how has that shaped your life? Would you say that turn by turn and moment by moment that every effort has shown up? See, like an athlete preparing for the Olympics, we should live like we have somewhere to be. Maybe for you, that effort looks like choosing not to do something that you have been doing. Make every effort, Jesus says, one turn at a time. And if it's just simply turning away from something that you often turn to, that's that process of discipleship. And maybe on the other hand, it's something that you choose that for so long you have been putting off. Make every effort, Jesus says, step out in faith, step out in obedience. And in all of that, know that there is grace in the inconsistency. I am not perfect. Talk to anyone who walks with Jesus and they will give you example after example of how things have not gone exactly as they may have hoped. So we don't really do this ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit. So as you come for communion today, and we've got a giant baptism tank in the middle here, which kind of going to have to go around it, Um, but we're going to have people up here handing out communion in the balcony as well. And so I'm going to invite the people who are serving communion to come and prepare. And so if you can kind of, in a moment, come, receive the communion, take it back and sit and then we'll eat together. But as you do, just give two questions thought. Number one, do you know Jesus? Or do you simply know about him? And secondly, what is your next turn? What does it look like for you to make every effort? So we're going to take a moment. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Then I'm going to ask you to stand and come and take the bread and the cup. And hold on, don't take it yet. Have a seat and we'll take it together in a moment. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we just thank you that there is a party there is a kingdom and there is a feast and that we are invited to it. And it's, it's weird but simple that when we believe in you, that you invite us to walk with you into a much better way of living. And that there's a party. So God, I pray that you would help us to understand what that party means. The goodness of the kingdom. And God, where we have relationship with you, I pray you would bring affirmation that you would bring confirmation, that you would call to mind our Jesus story. And if we don't have a Jesus story, God, I pray you would nudge hearts that it would begin today. And maybe, God, we have a next step. Whether it's to choose not to or choose to, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to follow you. And then it would not be guilt over failures in the past, but there would be a conviction that you empower us to do the life you've called us to do. Holy Spirit, we ask you would speak.